Welcome to We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. I'm your host, Lauren Lee. And who am I? I was your wacky 10th grade English teacher who would occasionally rap a Shakespearean soliloquy, would always encourage a live performance of a book report, and would occasionally dress up in costume as Professor Dumbledore to host an ethics debate, who then, after nearly a decade, decided to take the massive leap of faith to attend a coding boot camp, switch careers, and dive deep into the tech industry. I've been surprised by how many of the skills and lessons I learned as an educator have translated to my role in tech. So that got me thinking, have you taken a non-traditional route to tech? Or are you interested in transitioning yourself? This is a podcast that aims to interview career changers and folks who are diversifying tech. We'll hear stories from people who've taken unique paths and chat about the skills that they've transferred to their roles today. We're hoping to create a space for people to learn from one another, develop confidence, and debunk the antiquated notion that a computer science degree is required to succeed in tech. Come on, everyone. Let's dive in. My guest today is in his second career as a developer who previously spent a decade in the fields of adult education, community organizing, and nonprofit management as a rabbi. He now works as a developer advocate for Nexmo, the Vana JPI platform by day, and experiments with open source projects at night. He writes regularly on the intersection of community development and tech. Originally from Southern California and a longtime resident of New York City, Ben now resides near Tel Aviv in Israel. He's been an educator in all aspects of his life and is a revered public speaker and writer, no doubt due to his ability to communicate across cultures and groups of people, in addition to his passion for mentorship, allyship, and advocacy. His name is Ben Greenberg. I'm so grateful to have him as a guest today. Ben, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Absolutely. It is so great to be here. And that bio sounds really impressive. I really want to meet that person. (laughs) Me too. And I'm so happy to be able to call him my friend. Okay, so let's dive right in. Can you expand on and talk to me more about the experiences that you had before you entered the tech industry? Uh, Sure. So I had a career, uh, as you mentioned, for about 10 years. In, and I got in that career the privilege to work with a whole bunch of people in a real diversity of settings and places throughout the United States. Um, so after college, I went to rabbinical school where I studied to be a rabbi for four years, uh, also in New York. And then when I graduated, I ended up as a campus rabbi in Boston at the uh, local Hillel House, the Jewish Community Center, where I got to be uh, interacting with and uh counseling and connecting with students from across the spectrum. Uh, And in that capacity, I served as the executive vice president of the Harvard Chaplains, which was just an amazing, phenomenal experience. And uh, and then I did some really interesting things after that. I worked in community organizing in Chicago, and I organized around issues of gun violence and immigration reform in Illinois. And uh, and then I worked in adult education in a synagogue in uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I also ran my own congregation in Denver, Colorado. Dang. So I've been all around the United States and and uh, seen a lot of parts of America and had the real privilege and, and honor to work with uh, a huge spectrum of people from across uh, from across the United States. 
Wow, that's incredible. That sounds like such genuine community organizing and development. It was really, uh, it was really special. Uh, it, it, not many people can say that they had the experiences that I feel so uh, blessed to have had and mm-hmm. so privileged to have had and to be with people in, in moments of, of need and in moments of great challenge and also great celebration. Uh, to be able, you know, in the life of a congregation, to be able to walk with a single family through lo- the, the chain of life cycles, the circle of life cycles, through births and deaths and funerals and weddings and marking of new new life in the world, um, graduations, really be able to see a family go through uh, so many different rites of passage uh, is really something that I feel incredibly uh, privileged of had that experience in my life. Oh, yeah. Wow. I love that. Yeah. You got to be a part of the entire community. That's incredible. Okay, Ben, um, can you transition a bit and tell me about the change that you made? Or rather, how did you decide to learn to code after all of that? And how exactly did you learn it? (laughs) It's a really good question. What is this rabbi doing coding? What's going on? <laughs> no, no. I just love the idea of you traveling the country as a rabbi and then you suddenly thinking, oh, I think, you know what I want to do? I want to learn to code. <laughs> wait, wait. What about that JavaScript thing? What? That sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, so it's a really interesting question. And to answer that question, you actually have to go back even farther. Uh, when I was in high school, I was uh, pretty involved in, in tech. Uh, and this is, you're talking about the mid nineties and, uh, my friends and I grow, growing up in Southern California and San Diego, we actually created together the first, uh, BSD users group meeting in San Diego. We had our own local 2600 chapter. I don't know if you're familiar with 2600, but it's this like mm-hmm. hacker design from like the late, from the 1980s and onwards. Um, and so we, there were regional chapters throughout the, uh, throughout the world. Uh, and so we actually created the one in San Diego and we also created a, a, a hacker conference, which just celebrated its 20th year oh my gosh. in San Diego. That's so cool. Um, I know, which is crazy. I actually flew in for the hacker conference for its 20th anniversary, flew in from Israel and I felt, Lauren, I felt so old. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> no, you're the OG. You're like, yeah, I started this. That's what's up. (laughs) And uh, talking about feeling really privileged to have gone back to that 20th anniversary and met people who their community revolves around this conference that I started in high school as sort of like something just to do um, was really, um, it was so touching. It's hard to put into words. That's so powerful. So powerful. And so my my interest in tech was actually, it goes way back. Um, you could even say that was kind of like my first career. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was a, t- a kid. Totally. Um, yeah. And so I always was interested in finding a way to return to it. But as years went by and as I got older and my responsibilities in life increased, the the idea of returning to it progressively got harder, if that makes sense. Sure. No, it really does. Uh, and so at what point was it that you decided to apply and attend the Flatiron School? Yeah. So uh, every year I had thought about it and kind of like played around in my head with it for a while. Not necessarily Flatiron, but the idea of going back into the technology sector. And then we had our first child 
and then we had our second child Aww. and uh and then we had a mortgage and then we had bills and life just happens right you just get more and more responsibilities and you become more and more dependent on the stability of your income yeah oh my and gosh, it becomes yeah. a lot harder to kind of throw your life into disarray and and put the pieces back together again in an entirely new career um and so when do you do that and uh and i hit my 10 year mark in my career and that felt like a moment where if I wasn't going to do it then, yeah. then it wasn't going to happen. That's maybe not necessarily true, but that's experientially what it felt like in that moment. It felt like a momentous anniversary and it felt like a moment, a pivotal turning point. Either I was going to continue in this uh, trajectory or I was going to uh, you know, go back to my first love, so to speak. Um, and so I did what any responsible husband does. I asked my wife for, for permission <laughs> and, uh, and I was very surprised when she said yes. Um, I was surprised when she said yes to marry me also, but that's a whole nother story. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then I decided, well, uh, once I had the permission, then I had to figure out how to do it. And that's when I found out about coding boot camps, which I know you're a graduate of also. Mm -hmm, I am. And, uh, and I found the Flatiron School uh, in my research, and I was really drawn to it for a variety of reasons. Uh, so I enrolled, uh, and I started it. I left my job, uh, left income. Uh, we became a single-earning household for, it took me about three to four months to finish the program, uh, which was a hard time. It's hard. Yeah. Such a leap of faith. Total leap of faith. And, uh, you know, thankfully it... Uh, it it worked out, <laughs> you know. It, it, in in the end, it worked out, but it was uh, it was a big risk um, yeah. that we took. But it felt really right to do it, and it felt genuine to what I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, and I'm really glad I chose the Flatiron School to do it at. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's incredible. Okay, so bringing us to today, can you tell me more about what you do at Nexpo as a developer advocate. Yeah. So I love the job that I have right now. Uh, I work at this cool company called Nexmo, which uh, we're a cloud communications platform. And uh, I get to basically play with code all day and talk to other developers. That's basically my job. Talk to other developers and play with code. <laughs> it's... <laughs> The dream. Awesome. It's hard to describe in words how awesome that is. Um, and I was really drawn to developer advocacy. In fact, the first time I heard about developer advocacy was with you yeah. at uh, RubyConf 2017 uh, in New right. Orleans. That's where we met. And we had met, and we met the one and only, the one and only, Chloe Condon, uh, who's now a senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft. Oh, my gosh. That's um, wild. Amazing, right? Like amazing. And we were both opportunity scholars. Like we were there as the newbies in the community, right? We were both opportunity scholars. Oh my gosh, yes. And if no one's heard of the opportunity scholarship, it is an amazing opportunity. Uh, no pun intended, opportunity scholars, opportunity <laughs> it's a great opportunity. Um, it's done through, it's both RubyConf and RailsConf offers these opportunity to people who are emerging into the field um, to be able to, 
be granted not only access to the conference through some funding, but to be given mentorship and a guide and front row seats to the keynotes. Uh, it's It was really great. I, I You had a good experience also. I oh my gosh. Yes. I met Sandy Metz. Fangirled <laughs> <laughs> her. <laughs> it's like... It was unbelievable. It was such a great experience. And that's where I met Chloe, who said, hi. And at that point, she was a developer evangelist. And she said, hi, I'm a developer evangelist. And I said, that title sounds really weird to a rabbi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the word evangelist itself has a religious connotation to it. Precisely. And uh, and she said, oh, that's kind of funny. I never thought of that. What do you what is developer evangelist? What do they do? And that and I was like, that's a really great job. So we both we both were there as opportunity scholars. We we're still in our boot camps. Um, we had not gotten uh, our first developer job yet. Uh, so shortly after that, I got my first position as a developer, and I was that developer in the office that was constantly getting up to talk to other people and see how they were doing and discuss yep. problems I was facing in the in the code or wanted to hear about their problems or I was thinking about the ways that we could document this better and make it more accessible. Yeah. And I realized yeah. that what I wanted to do was what she was doing. Uh. And I was gravitating towards that. Basically, I was the extroverted developer in the office. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I started looking for a position and I found this one and I'm really um, grateful for it. And so I basically, I'm, I do a couple things in the job. I, uh, I'm the Ruby advocate, so I get it spend all day playing with a Ruby client library for, for Nexmo. And I get to think about ways we could serve the Ruby community better um, and, to, and to iterate on what we're currently doing and build on it. And, uh, and I also help maintain the Nexmo developer platform, which is where all of our API reference docs are and our tutorials and our code snippets and, and really like how to use the full suite of our applications. And that, that application, the Nexmo developer platform is actually a Rails application. So I get to uh, kind of uh, wear two hats. I get to be the platform engineer for that. And I get to be the Ruby advocate uh, in the Ruby community for Nexmo. Oh my gosh, that sounds so fun. It is so fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, okay, then, uh, thinking back, and we've certainly already touched on this, but can you put into words how your roles as a rabbi and as a community organizer influences uh, your job today as an advocate and as an engineer? Yeah, 100%. Uh, as an engineer, is a, a, a little more interest. Well, it's a little, it's a little more tangential how you get to that answer, <laughs> um, but I do think it's there. Uh, I actually gave a talk at JSConfEU last year where I talked about how uh, liberal arts graduates uh, can really bring the skill sets that they come with to tech, to specifically to technical interviews, mm-hmm. um, but I really believe to the entire technical field. Yeah. Uh, we're often undervalued uh, because we don't possess a engineering degree or a, a mathematics degree or a comp sci degree. Yeah. But I believe there's ways of thinking, uh, the ways of approaching problems that come from the liberal arts fields that can be really beneficial and bring a new perspective. But that's a separate, uh, that's one area. Uh, the other area is I think that um, the thing I learned the most from my previous career was really how to be with people where they're at and how to listen to them where they are currently at in their lives. And that leadership is less about uh, being in front and more about enabling other people to be in front mm-hmm. um, and enabling their voices and their success and catalyzing their success. Um, and, uh, and so those two ideas, uh, 
really being uh, being an enabler of success for other people is really what leadership is in my model and listening to people where they're at and really understanding what they're saying. Uh, you know, and that comes from the community organizing training and community organizing backgrounds of really trying to understand the, the ideas that people are expressing and, and what's motivating them and what's moving them. Um, those two things, I think, really help propel someone in the field of developer advocacy uh, to sit with somebody and hear their pain points uh, when it's coming to you, when it's coming around to use your application or your APIs. Uh, listening to somebody, what what they what their what their gap is, what's the area that they would like to see that's currently not being met, um, or uh, really hearing like what they want to build and what their vision is, and how you can help actually enable that. Um, a lot of those things come from the field, don't have to come from, but they do come from the field of clergy, from the field of community organizing, from the field of being a rabbi, of being able to listen to people and hear people. Um, unfortunately, we also do talk a little too much as well, but that's uh, that's another problem of being a clergy person. We're a little too verbose, but that's a, that's another subject. <laughs> oh, you're a storyteller. It's amazing, right? And and I bet that these skills or life experiences set you apart from your coworkers or rather things that differentiate you from those who may have taken the more traditional route to tech. Yeah. I, th- I like to think of it as that it, in the following way, that a team should be comprised of a diversity of backgrounds and perspectives and voices. Mm, absolutely. And that the more right and the more diverse a team is, the more well-functioning it could be, the more, uh, the more successful it'll be because it'll It'll be able to encompass and incorporate a wider variety of perspectives and see a wider array of possible problems and solve them in a way that a more uniform, uh, a more single-minded, a more you know uh, monochrome team would, would wouldn't be able to anticipate or see. And so. Uh, there's things that people who come from non-traditional tech backgrounds bring to tech that I think diversify the industry in really beneficial ways. And so I don't know if, if there's things that I necessarily have. a. I don't think I have a leg up on my colleagues, but I think I have a different perspective than the ones who came from more traditional route. And that their perspective is equally valuable and equally important. And when it's and what happens is the meshing of the two and the intersection of that two, the more traditional routes, because uh, there's things that they bring to the table, which I just don't have the experience in. I don't have the framework for, I don't have the vocabulary in, and I don't have the experience. But conversely, there's things that I bring to the table that they don't have the vocabulary in and the experience in. Yeah. And I think when you are bringing those two together to sit at the table as equals in a conversation, you're actually making a highly dynamic, highly successful, um, uh, and really highly achieve, a, a, a high achieving uh, a, a team and, and, and experience. No, yeah, absolutely. Because you're all approaching this problem from a different perspective. And so you end up being able to find that unique solution that otherwise maybe you wouldn't. Have. Right, exactly. 100%. Oh my gosh, I, I love it. And I think that's ultimately a goal of this podcast, right? To talk about, first off, you know, how we go about even finding companies that value these life experiences and and unique perspectives. So it's an interesting thing in itself. It's a challenging thing. Yeah. Uh, And maybe you could speak about your interview process and, you know, also about the idea of interviewing a company back and asking those questions that will help you discern if they are you know, willing to see you in that equal setting. Yeah, I think the interview process for me, 
it's particularly in my first round of interviews for the first developer position after the bootcamp was it was in itself an iterative experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually really distinctly remember the turning point for me, the pivotal turning point when I decided to approach it a little differently. Uh, up until that moment, I was uh, very much in that sense of imposter syndrome mm. and, uh, and very, and, and, and I hear it, right? Like we all been there and we sometimes are there, you know, even after we land a position, even after we've been in the field for a while, we hit back into that moment and it's hard not to, it's hard not to. Um, and I was very much there and I was doubting myself and, and just, in, and super, um, super eager in every interview, regardless of any warning signs at a company, regardless of red flags. And I had been somebody who had already been working for a while. So I, it's not like I didn't know what to look for in interviews, but because I was so new to this field, I was willing to, ignore them initially, but there was one company I interviewed at, uh, and, uh, uh without providing too many details, yeah. <laughs> the interview experience was so negative and they were so disrespectful to me, uh, in the interview that, I, that that was a moment that clicked. And I said to myself, after I walked out of that place, that I have what to bring to this field, that I am not a complete newbie. I actually have experiences. I have life experiences, work experiences. I've been and done things that they haven't done and seen things they haven't seen. And that's valuable. Uh, and, and I'm worth something. And I know that's almost a little cliche. And it's like that Saturday Night Live thing of the guy standing in front of the mirror saying, gosh, darn it, I'm valuable. <laughs> but it was that one of those moments. It really was. And it was that point onwards that I decided to start approaching the interviews as somebody who was willing to say no to, to a company. Not only willing to be said no to, but willing to say no to them. And, uh, and then it became a different experience because then I didn't feel bad walking out of a room if, if they were being really rude and really disrespectful. And, and this is all bracketed by the fact that I had just spent four months not earning an income and really needing to earn an income. So it wasn't like I had a lot of space to be able to do that. But I think doing it helped me end up in a position which was a good learning experience and a good first place to be. Uh, which might not have happened if I had uh, if I had not had that click, that pivotal moment uh, in in that process. Yeah, I hear you. I I think it's insanely important to see the self worth that you, you know you bring to the table, and you know taking the power pose and reflecting on all of the awesome skills that you have and things that you can do before you walk into an interview room is so important. I love the power pose. Do you ever do a power pose? <laughs> yeah, before I go on stage for tech talks. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so actually, uh, one of my questions was going to be about you know life lessons that you've learned since your transition to tech, uh, and it sounds like that this is one of them. Yes, that is definitely that. I think, uh, and it's something that I need to occasionally reaffirm for myself. Uh, uh, throughout throughout my career uh, so far, it's not like it's a one 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 and done that you say to yourself once and then you can walk away and feel like you're affirmed in your value forever. Uh, there are times, and and I and I know we can all relate to that. Who's ever been in the field of engineering where you feel lost? where you feel like you can't solve that problem. And it doesn't matter if you've been in the field for a decade, for 20 years, or for a week. Uh, this field has a way of confounding us in ways that other fields might not. 
and uh, and that can be really uh, that can be really a it can bring about a sense of despondency and a sense of despair mm -hmm. uh, and being able to recognize that that's mm -hmm. okay yeah and that it's okay to feel those moments and and feeling those moments when you're stuck in the code and you're stuck trying to figure out a solution and oftentimes you're overthinking it and you're overcomplicating it I have a little uh, rock on my desk uh, one of these things i bought in an open air marketplace somewhere and it says just the word simple on it uh just simple yeah. and i was so drawn to that because i felt i needed that at my workstation a little rock that just says simple because oftentimes we overthink problems and that is the that's the source of our digging the hole deeper and deeper in the code but when we are deep in the hole and we are feeling confounded uh to find the ways to value yourself even there. Um, that to me is the life lesson that not only have I learned, but I'm trying to still learn uh, every day in this in this career. It's a practice, right? It's something we have to exercise often. Absolutely. It's, it is a meditative practice of being able to value yourself in a field that constantly challenges you and pushes you and confounds you. And and I like those things. It's not like I don't, I chose this field because I like the constant intellectual challenge and the constant brain teasers and the constant um, really trying to problem solve all the time. But being in a field that's like that, in a field where you can't really coast through it and coast by means you have to find ways to value yourself even when you're feeling stuck. Sure, absolutely. Ben, I've kind of asked you this question. Do you, do you ever feel like an outsider? Uh, and if you do, how do you handle or, you know, make sense of those feelings? It, it sounds like you've got it all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Uh, okay. do, I, do I ever feel like an outsider? That's, Lauren, that is like a question that could go on forever. Uh, <laughs> do I ever feel like an outsider? As, as an American expat living in Israel... As an Israeli-American, an American-Israeli, as somebody who feels very American when I'm here mm -hmm. and very Israeli when I visit uh, other places, uh, I often feel like an outsider, um, no matter where I am. Uh, and I think that that's actually okay. And I think that feeling like an outsider in, the, in, in a positive connotation, mm. in a way that doesn't make you feel... Um, left out, but feeling like you're coming with a perspective that is not the same as everyone else and being confident enough to offer that perspective can be really valuable, not only for the people around you, but for yourself too. Yeah. Uh, it, it gives you this balcony perspective around you uh, when you're not always of everyone, when you're a little distant, a little removed, when you're a little, you feel a little different and a little separate, uh, again, with everything within moderation, uh, but having that sense, that little bit of sense that of, of, of individuation and differentiation, um, and yeah. it, we can label it and call it otherness. Uh, but we don't we all oftentimes feel that sense of otherness under times uh, I really think can actually be uh, can be affirming to to what you can bring to the table. I know it's affirming for me. Mm -hmm. And I try and I try and channel that otherness 
in the in team meetings, in brainstorming sessions, in uh, you know, well, if I'm looking at this documentation and this guide, what are the things that's missing for me, which may not be missing for you, uh, in in a more concretization, in a more concrete sort of form? Yeah, I love that you embrace it, and I think that. It's incredibly inspiring to hear, and I hope that listeners who might sometimes feel that way too will will feel encouraged and empowered to do so as well and remember your words and find a sense of confidence in it. So I'd like to end our conversation today by asking if you have any advice for those wanting to transition into tech that maybe you could share. The first thing I would say is you can do it. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I have in this time that I've been in this career have met people from such a huge spectrum of backgrounds and and places in life. Uh, It's mind-blowing, absolutely Mm. mind-blowing. First of all, there's a whole group of us who are former rabbis who are now programmers. That's that's one one area. But I I have met artists and actresses and actors and museum curators and athletes and journalists and educators and retail professionals, everyone and everywhere from every orientation, from every ethnic cultural background uh, that uh, in this field. And I think that that is one of the greatest strengths that we have in this industry. And it's also a testament to the fact that you can do it. Now, having said that you can do it, I also feel obliged to say it's really, really hard. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard. It's challenging. It will make you feel like you don't know what you're doing often, sometimes daily. Uh, It's like learning an entirely new set of languages that constantly keep on changing on you, especially if you are a JavaScript developer, then I feel very bad for you. Um, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, but if you embrace that change, you kind of embrace the chaos of it. It's, it keeps you, it keeps you young. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it keeps you learning. It's like the people in retirement homes who like do uh, brain teasers every day, right? Or do the New York Times crossword puzzles. It like, it keeps your mind going and engaged. Uh, and you really will get to work with a lot of smart people, uh, a lot of smart, engaging people and, uh, and be part of this uh, field that uh, if we think about it, is at the backbone of modern society. It's at the backbone of the ways in which we structure our world. And no matter where you're working in it, no matter how small the piece is that you will eventually be responsible for, you'll be responsible for something that really is the undergirding, the infrastructure of our very society today globally, uh, which is amazing and really an opportunity of a lifetime. So I would say to anyone who's interested in it to go for it. That's awesome. Yeah, I love to hear the way that you think about it as well. Well, okay. Thank you, Ben, for talking with me today. I I love listening to you. I I could go for hours and hours listening and learning from your past and your experience. And what you're doing today is so fascinating. Uh, And I do want to say that I will link in the show notes the video to the conference that you referenced earlier about those of us with liberal arts past. Uh, It's a great talk to watch, so encouraging. uh, And so I highly encourage everyone to go check that out. 
But Ben, uh, is there any final shout out that you'd like to share today? If I can make one quick shout out, that would be to the the boot camp of my love, the boot camp that I feel very connected to, which is the Flatiron School, which uh, ultimately enabled, uh, in many ways, my ability to be in this field. Uh, it it is still a community I feel connected to, and a community that I still uh, connect with, and uh, and they are phenomenal. If you're looking for a career in tech and you're looking for a place to accelerate that, I can't recommend the Flatiron School highly enough. Oh my gosh, for sure. That's awesome. Okay, well, I will include a link to them as well. Ben, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, I learned so much and I'm sure everyone else will too. And listeners, you can go check out Ben and find him on Twitter at... It's at Rabbi Greenberg. (laughs) That's right. Okay, everyone go find him, follow him, watch his videos, read his articles, and give him some love and tell him how much you appreciated his wisdom and advice today. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you. It was so nice to talk to you. Have a great rest of the day. And that's a wrap on another episode of We Belong Here, Lessons from Unconventional Paths to Tech. Be sure to rate and subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts and check us out next week for another story and lessons learned from an unconventional path to tech.